0: The reading is Titus chapter 2, verse 11 onwards, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father we thank you that you have blessed us this weekend we thank you for the wonderful and challenging and encouraging things we have heard from your word we thank you for the many encouragements and the way you have blessed us this summer we thank you for this time to share and to build each other up in the work we do we thank you for this organisation you have blessed us with a rich history and you are continuing to bless us now and we are thankful And we worship the Lord, who we have the privilege of sharing this summer and the summers to come. We thank you for what we've learned from your word. We pray for Trevor in this last session now, Lord. We pray for the message that you've given him, uh, that we would receive it and that you would speak to our hearts through it. Lord, we have learned lots. We've taken lots in. But we pray, Lord, what you want to say to us now in this last session, that you would take that to our hearts and we would learn much from you. Father, I want to pray for us as we leave this place later, I want to pray for safe journeys home, I want to pray for travelling mercies that you'd watch each of us, and as we return to our workplaces, to schools and colleges uh, tomorrow, Lord, I pray that the words that we have heard uh, would not lay away, but they would impact our lives and people would see a difference in us tomorrow by what you've been doing with us this week. We thank you again, Lord. We pray your blessing on your word now. In Jesus' holy, wonderful name. Amen. On June the 24th, 1904,
1: a man was invited to Buckingham Palace. Uh, The king, it was then King Edward VII, wanted to meet him. His name was William Booth. I think you'll all know he founded the Salvation Army. At the end of the conversation, the King asked him would he please sign his, the King's private autograph book. And William Booth did so. And this is what he put inside it. Your Majesty, some men's ambition is art. Some men's ambition is fame, some men's ambition is gold, my ambition is the souls of men. He loved his Saviour, and he had a zeal for his cause, and he was not ashamed of either of them. A few years later, less than a month after the sinking of the Titanic, uh, William Booth was addressing 7,000 salvationists in the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, He himself was over 80, almost blind, and it was just a few weeks before his death. But what a rousing final uh, talk he gave them. May I quote part of it? He said, While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in a doubt, in a doubt as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor, lost girl on the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. He loved his Saviour and he was zealous for his cause. And he wasn't ashamed of that. Somebody said his motto was, uh, Saved to serve. I think you know that would make a very good summary of the passage we've been thinking about this weekend, wouldn't it? Uh, In Titus, notice it started off in verse 11. I'm sure, I hope you know it off by heart, whichever version you learn it from. It starts off, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men it starts with being saved the grace of god that brings salvation but it ends in verse 14 he wanted to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works that service So Paul in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 14 is saying in effect, the grace of God has saved you, but yes, but you are saved to serve. When the grace of God planned salvation and the blood of Jesus Christ at such great cost purchased salvation, it wasn't that God wanted a whole host of... uh, not quite sure what I'll call ourselves, really. We are, uh, sort of similar to football fans on the town terraces or in the city stadiums, you know, watching the game. No, he wanted to save a save of people who would be uh, involved in the game. Players on the pitch, if you like. He wanted us to be involved in good works. Doing as much as we can. Whatever we can, to as many as we can. And, uh, When it comes to good works, can we make quite clear, I don't think it's necessary. It has already been said this weekend by one and another. We are not saved by good works. No, but we are saved for good works. That's what Titus says. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, that great prince of preachers, uh, who's been referred to again, Uh, one that we admired as serving his Lord so wonderfully well, Uh, he said he was not opposed to good works any more than he was opposed to chimney pots. But he did feel that good works, like chimney pots, were very nice to finish a building off, but very bad to lay as a foundation. (laughs) And uh, God never intended us Uh, to be built on good works or saved by good works Uh, Hudson Taylor I think you'll know was that dedicated missionary founded the we used to call it China Inland Mission Overseas Missionary Fellowship but he said something similar and that was this I cannot work my soul to save for that my Lord has done but then he went on to say but I would work like any slave for love of God's dear Son. You see, we're saved by the grace of God. But we're saved for good works. Good works never saved anyone yet and never will save anybody ever. Uh, In case somebody, well, we trust some, will be listening to the CDs or DVDs or iPods and all these mysterious things that uh, Nathaniel's been informing us about. Uh, But we do want to make it clear to every listener and not only to ourselves. There is only one way of being saved. Just one. That's the Bible teaching. Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through me. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other. No other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. One way only. And uh, Titus tells us the source of it. The grace of God that brought salvation. So the grace of God is the source of salvation. The blood of Christ. Never be ashamed of that phrase is the grounds of salvation. The miraculous, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is the means of salvation. The divinely inspired word of God is the book Revealing Salvation. And our faith, bless God, our faith is that little commodity, I'll call it if you like, that receives, and more than that, experiences, and more than that, enjoys salvation. Spurgeon again said, little faith will get your soul to heaven, but great faith will get heaven to your soul. So if we've got great faith, we enjoy our salvation. That is the only way of salvation, and there is no other. Ephesians two eight says, By grace ye are saved through faith, uh, and that of um, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But although we are not saved by good works, we are saved for them. I think it was David this morning that quoted Ephesians two ten. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And not only did God intend us uh, for good works, he designed us for good works. Uh, Now, may I say, what a wonderful looking lot you are in front of me. Now, if you feel real bucked up by that, I didn't say what a wonderful lot you look, but I did say what a wonderful lot you are. David said, the psalmist said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are wonderfully made. We all are. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. We have minds that can think we have an ability to speak and help and sympathise and heal as well hearts that have been wounded, as well as share the Gospel in evangelism. Why, we're wonderful in so many ways. We have feet, uh, and yet feet that can not only get us from place to place, we have more than feet. God has created us with an intelligence, and with that intelligence... Why man has been able to design ships and planes and spacecraft that can take him to realms. Ordinary feet would never be able to have got him. We're wonderfully made. Uh, We have the ability, praise God for Daniel Moore and Elizabeth Moore, I don't know how they do it, uh, to, uh, what's the word, not detect, to uh, analyse sounds and language. To design a writing pattern, to communicate it. Uh, We have translation of languages. No other creature on earth can do this. God has designed us to be about good works. He intended us for good works. Oh, it's wonderful what he has done. And may I say that although he's not going to save us on the basis of good works, never forget, he is going to reward us on the basis of good works. He intended us for good works, designed us for good works, and he's going to reward us for good works. Oh, I thought, shall I put a little P.S. in here, because, uh, you know, there was that looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I get a little bit thrilled when I think prophecy is being fulfilled in our lifetime. The Gospel has gone into every major language group within our lifetime. The Jew has gone back as prophesied to the Middle East. He is surrounded by uh, enemies on every hand. Over 60% of discussion time at the United Nations is taken up with, may I call it respectfully, that tin pot little group in the Middle East. It's all focused there. And that, says the Bible, is the prelude, the fulfilling of prophecy, to that day when the clouds will break and the skies will break and the trump will sound and Jesus will come and graves will be opened and the dead will rise from the dust and we here will be transformed gloriously and called. What a God-smacking event that is going to be to the world. Jesus, coming back. To rule, and to reign, and to reward. That's my point. We're not saved by good works. We're intended for them, designed for them, and will be rewarded for them. That is why we should be zealous of good works. That's in verse 14. Now, I've chosen, somebody showed me another version, and it was zealous for good works can't keep up with all these translations. I've ch- chosen the authorised version or the New King James because although some versions have eager and enthusiastic, I do like the word zealous. The Greek is zelotes, from which we obviously get our word zeal. And uh, it says there that we should be zealous for good works. I checked up in my Bible, I use the New King James, uh, the number of times zeal or zealous uh, comes in my version. Well, it's some 40 times in the Old and New Testaments. I I can't explain all these, but uh, I've listed them. There are instances of misguided zeal, Pharisees, if you like, wrongly motivated zeal, Jehu flagging zeal, That was Elijah. I was (laughs) zealous. He'd lost it when he ran away. Antagonistic zeal, that's Paul. Inconsistent zeal. Influential zeal. And in the world, of course, you have many people who are very zealous about what they're uh, concerned about. Hitler was zealous in trying to get rid of every single Jew he possibly could. Some are still about that. Howard Hills was zealous in amassing money. Marx, Engels and Lenin, if you know their sacrificial stories, were zealous in promoting communism. Osama bin Laden and Islamic terrorists are zealous about destroying Western culture. Richard Dawkins is zealous about his own anti-God agenda. The British humanists Are zealous about redefining morality or immorality in our country and are influencing parliament, if not mastering parliament, in our very day. They're zealous. And then you have others. You have the Pomeratis. Better quote that one, because I'm going to quote Michael Jackson next. And the Michael Jacksons. And you have the uh, Ronaldos. In the world of sport and art and sciences, all people zealous about one thing or another. Be it good, be it bad, doesn't matter. But they are zealous about something. But the Bible raises this word zeal into an entirely different Plain. Study it very carefully. Now, I'll not pause to give you time to turn them up. Take my word for it. The first time the word zeal comes is Numbers 25 verse 11 where God commends a young man, if you know the story of Phinehas, and he said he was zealous with my zeal, says the Lord. In fact, my zeal, The Lord says twice in that verse. So, in context, in the Bible, who is the first one referred to as having zeal? You say, Phinehas, no. God. Do you realise God is a God of zeal? It's the same in the New Testament in John chapter 2 verse 17 well that's the cleansing of the tempest Jesus in fervent action and then it says the disciples I quote remembered that it was written zeal for your house has eaten me up so in the New Testament who's the first one recorded as having zeal Jesus has zeal Learn that God has zeal. In other words, he is eager. He is eager and enthusiastic. God wants to bless this world. All in this world. If we focus attention on any, I would say, and especially uh, his earthly people, if you wish to call them that, and his spiritual people. And what great zeal. Zechariah 1.14 I am zealous, says the Lord, for Jerusalem and Zion, with great zeal. And learn that Jesus has zeal. His zeal is for the cause of God. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And ours should be too. Whatever else our interest might be, they should all be secondary to this one great overriding pattern. For me to live is Christ. We used to sing in the Wales songbook. What was it? Uh, I would not with swift-winged zeal on the world's errands go, and labour up the heavenly hill with wearing uh, 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 feet and slow. Or if you want to Save postcards or postage stamps or I don't know what. Okay, okay, okay. If you want to be an avid gardener or an enthusiast, okay, okay, okay. But never let it dominate above this overriding zeal to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonathan Goforth was a missionary in the western part of uh, China, Manchuria. On One one of his birthdays, he wrote in his diary... I am 65 today. And then he put, Oh, for another 20 years of this soul-winning work. He wanted to live longer that he might be in soul-winning work. Well, Jesus, his ear was obviously a correct one. It was for God's cause. He lived for one thing, nothing selfish or temporary or inconsequential. No, he lived for the one thing, that he wanted to finish the work that God had given him to do. Will you notice Christ's zeal was not only correct, it was conspicuous. When he did something, the disciples remembered. Oh, It says, the zeal of thine house has eaten him up. His zeal was prophesied, and his zeal was practiced, and his zeal was perceived. Uh, you will always find that zeal is conspicuous. Uh, William Wilberforce had a zeal to free the slave that was conspicuous. Everybody in Parliament knew what he was fighting for. William Booth had a zeal to help the poor. That was conspicuous. That's why the king wanted to meet him. David Brainard had a zeal to save the Red Indians of America. And that zeal was conspicuous. Hudson Taylor had a zeal to evangelize China. And the whole of Britain knew. Mary Whitehouse had a zeal to clean up television. And again, pretty well, in her day, the whole country knew of her zeal. George Weber has a zeal to promote Christian literature in the world. That's conspicuous as well. You know, you don't have to ask a zealous person whether they're zealous. I don't know whether I ought to say this, but if I might just pass it on and as a side, when we go on beach missions, we don't come on beach missions for this reason, but it does happen that sometimes he sees her. And, uh, maybe she sees him. And, uh, well, he might get a bit keen on her. And though she might not say it, she might get a bit keen on him. I have to admit these things go on I was one of the pioneers 50 years ago but I will tell you this much if somebody really does get keen on another uh, we have uh, learnt you don't normally have to ask them sooner or later it will show and how a zeal for Christ should show as well. Jesus' zeal was conspicuous. i tell you something else about his zeal as well. It was all-consuming. Notice those words again. The zeal of your house has eaten me up. Uh, we used to recommend years ago William Macdonald's excellent book, True Discipleship. If you've not read it, do get a copy somewhere and read it. He quotes from a letter in which a young convert to communism explains to his fiance why he's breaking off their engagement. Now, part of the, the uh, letter reads like this. There's one thing in which I'm in dead earnest, and that is the communistic cause. It's my life My business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife and mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. It holds on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books... Ideas and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. In other words, zeal for his newfound philosophy had eaten him up. And their zeal today, however misguided, in other faiths, where militants are eaten up by their zeal. Doesn't our beloved Christ, who went to the cross to give his blood for us, deserve similar Zealots for his name who will love him and be zealous for his cause and not ashamed of either of those things. Zealous like Wesley. One biographer said of him he was out of breath pursuing souls or zeal like a Whitfield on his tomb, I understand there's the carved a burning heart. Or zeal like Adam Clarke, he was an early British Methodist evangelist. And on his grave there's a candle burned down to the socket and underneath the words, In living for others, I am burned away. Isn't our lovely Lord Jesus still deserves such a following? Do we not want to be in that following? Sam Shoemaker was a dedicated Christian linked with the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous. He wrote a poem entitled, I Stand by the Door. And in it he expresses his desire to always remain closely linked with those involved in frontline evangelism. May I read part of it? He said, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are outside. They, as much as I once, crave to know where the door is. All that so many find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any person can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to the person's own touch. People die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, lost because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared with helping them find it, and open it, and walk in, and find him. So I stand by the door, I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door. Or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door as for me I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there but not so far from people as not to hear them and remember they are there too where? outside the door Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more important for me, one of them. Two of them. Ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. Will you be in that place when next summer comes? I hope you'll be in that place throughout the rest of your life, standing by the door. There's only one thing matters in this passing world of sin that our lives should tell for Jesus be of some account for him. December the 30th, 1962 I visited an old dying lady on the Scottish border. Uh, She was bedridden. Time was to show she only had two days to live. Just before I left her She reached out her rather bony hand and grasped mine and said, young man, it was 1962, young man, I'm going to give you a prayer. You won't forget it, will you? I said, no, I'm not forgetting. Here it is, she said. Now you won't forget it, will you? I said, no, I'll not forget it. Here it is then, she said. And then with a very striking look in her eye, never a smile, almost glaring at me, she said, Lord, give me the zeal. Now don't you forget it. that was 47 years ago I've never forgotten it nor have I forgotten that there was one dear saint there who with almost her dying breath wanted to bless somebody else because she loved her saviour and had a zeal for his cause Do we aspire to have a zeal like that? May I close with the words we've been considering this weekend? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, as one version says, I like it, Say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and justly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that? May I repeat that? He gave himself for us that. He wanted to achieve something. He gave himself for us that. He might redeem us from every lawless deed. That he might purify for himself his own special people. And that we might be zealous of good works. That is what the grace of God was aiming at. And that is the response the grace of God deserves. Is that the response you desire to give? Oh, I want to be his hook, line sinker, life, soul, whatever we sing, my all. Is that the zeal? you would like to bring him who so wonderfully deserves it. You'll not be saved by that zeal, you're saved by the grace of God. But isn't it a grace that should have love springing up in our hearts and responding like that? Do you want to be amongst those who are known as zealots for the Lord Jesus? If that is what you want, May I suggest never forget that prayer I have remembered now for well over 40 years. Pray it regularly as I have done. Lord, give me the seal. I can't work it up. I'm just too weak but will you somehow put it inside me Lord give me the zeal and may our response redound to the glory of him who gave his blood for us the God of all grace who brought salvation in which we rejoice